Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game is About Glory. <laughs> I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Gareth and Milo. Hello, gentlemen. I think it's going to be fun tonight. Hi, Steph. Hello, Steph. Oh, dear. I am chuckling. Uh, because this week, we are going to take a deep breath and imagine the world of football in a better place, a more progressive place, a more fan-friendly place, a more utopian place. And and look, look, the game is not bad at all. Indeed, there have been many positive steps of improvement along the way, but daring to dream about being even better is fun. And we've just been talking about it, uh, you know, pre-record right now, and we're in we're in good spirits. So that's what we'll be doing this week. We're going to be having a lot of fun with it, I think. But before that, we have a bit of a bumper the week that was. Um, so uh, strap in. There's been a lot going on, and it all started for me personally, chaps, with the kit launch. Because on Tuesday, the club launched the first kit for next season, which was the home kit. Um, the designs won't be new to anyone, having been floating around on social media for nearly a year. Uh, and your humble host can confirm that as we sit here recording this week's pod, I am the proud wearer of a nipple-friendly elite Eric Dyer number 15 version, complete with Champions League badge. So uh, I'd like to announce that it's very comfortable and I'm very proud to have that Champions League badge back on my sleeve. Um, we expect to see the second and third kits launched at intervals over the summer. Um, and by the way, what's with all those Spurs Jenga videos that they're doing to to help promote it as well? It's odd, but I suppose they got my attention, right? Yeah. So anyway. Nice that you treated your tits again, Steph, to the premium shirt. I am nothing less than a sensitive man. <laughs> Seen holding up the new keeper's shirt on Wednesday was Fraser Forster. Uh, he's joined on a free transfer from Southampton and has a contract until 2024. Fraser has six England caps, the most recent call-up being in March this year. Forster started his career at Newcastle United before loan spells at Stockport County, Bristol Rovers and Norwich City. He joined Celtic in 2010, where he had a really successful spell before joining Southampton in 2014. Fraser brings bags of experience and is another keeper rumoured to be a really positive influence around the dressing room and training ground. He's also absolutely massive and we can now (laughs) no longer uh, have wonder saves, sorry, wonder games against us. Welcome to Spurs. I should also say that there was a uh, video doing uh, the rounds on the internet on well on twitter this week um from when he was at at uh, celtic of some kids singing a song about him which is an earworm and absolutely stuck in my head with the um i'm not going to sing well, it's it it's no good oh oh come on well, come on just speak it if you can't sing it speak it so fraser forster big man um what you got Hands like frying pan, big man. Uh, strikers beware! It's, it's, it's fantastic. It's really, really good. So, will you put the link? Will you put the link in our Twitter account I will do. so I, will do. I can go and find it because I want to sing it on the next episode. I'm excited by this. <laughs> Hands well, and frying pan. To. Oh yeah, it's great, great. Heading in the other direction this week was Cameron Carter-Vickers, who's joined Celtic on a permanent deal after a very successful loan there last season. CCV joined our academy at the age of 11 and was first first named in a first-team squad against Monaco back in 2015 and made his first-team debut against Gillingham in the League Cup in 2016. Since then, he's had loan spells at, brace yourselves, buckle in, Sheffield United, Ipswich Town, Swansea City, Stoke City, Luton Town, AFC Bournemouth and Celtic. 
It's going to be strange going into pre-season without seeing CCV in the lineup, but we're sure that this is the right move for him and that we will see him in the Premier League again soon enough. Good luck, Cameron. Yeah, I'll actually be follow, I'll follow his career with some interest up there because I think he's, uh, stories like this are fascinating to me because he's obviously a really, really good player and the amount of experience he's accumulated there is phenomenal. <laughs> think about it. So um... I, I think it's kind of, uh, kind of settling into the, of this podcast's identity that I look at players like this now and I think that's a game that's about glory player. That's one that will crop up in what happened next episode, some, <laughs> yeah. you know, a few years yeah. down the line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and hopefully it will. Hopefully it will have that sort of. Um, t- uh, who was it that you found who had completely and utterly reversed their career and was having a, a fantastic time in Spain? I'm trying to think who that was. Trapped. Hopefully it will be more of an Adel Tarap story than the, than anything else because uh, you know you, he was really good last season. He had a really good really good year last season, and there were yeah. a number of Premier League clubs who were interested in him. So yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's right for him to go there yes. because he's got the stability and because he's had all those loan spells. He's never really had that during his career. So I think staying somewhere for a you know two three years is probably the right move at this stage. But yeah, you know he's twenty four. So, you know, a couple more years there, 26. And besides, they're in, they're in the Champions League. You know, it's a good move. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. So good luck to him. You're absolutely right. The Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust annual fan survey is open until midnight on Thursday, the 16th of June. And it's open to all Spurs fans, regardless of whether they are a member of the trust or not. And just as you know, the survey is split into 10 sections covering season tickets and memberships, match day atmosphere, away games, TV games and scheduling, ownership and governance, amongst others uh, i mean it, it sort of sounds like they've been copying our uh, agenda for this week's show to be fair but you know that's fine they're allowed um and if you haven't already done so uh we would encourage you to spend 15 minutes completing the survey um note to myself uh stefan in the third person you should spend 15 minutes doing the uh the survey it's you can find a link to it on the trust website but someone here has done the survey gareth yeah i did it early this afternoon it did take no more than 15 minutes to do it. Last year, they got about 8,500 responses, and this year, mm. they want to make 10,000. But it's really important that everyone does it. As you said, you don't need to be a trust member to do it. And it's one of those things that don't go complaining about things the club do if you don't take the time to fill out a survey here that's going to help inform um, some some strategy on the trust's behalf. So really do take the effort to, to, to have a go at the survey. Yeah, I did it this week as well. I'm the odd one out. From next season, Spurs women will be playing their home game at Leighton Orient's Brisbane Road ground. Um, it's good to see the team playing closer to Tottenham and Brisbane Road is a really nice stadium. It's also good to see us build on links with Orient, particularly poignant in the week that saw the third anniversary of the untimely death of Justin Edinburgh. Yeah, well, I, I, Justin Edinburgh, is a, I mean, he is a bit of a legend really, isn't he? We've, we, I'm sure we all have Justin Edinburgh memories and uh, to save you an edit, I won't start trotting mine out, but I have plenty. Um, but well mentioned, yeah. I mean, it's again, what a passage of time to think that he has been gone um, you know, three years, yeah. as long as he has th- three years, it's kind of strange. Um, well, <laughs> this one really got me this week and I think it probably got you as well. And, uh, I'm sure it got us all. Um, the PFA Premier League team of the season came out and, uh, golden boot winner, <laughs> Son Young Min, uh, could, was not given a place. Uh, just extraordinary that he couldn't force his way into a three-man forward line comprised of Salah, Mane and Ronaldo. And let me just say this. Yeah, I've got great admiration for Ronaldo, but I am frankly getting sick of him being chosen for everything from Ballon d'Or to this sort of thing simply because he is Ronaldo. Uh, Look, 
Sonny had a way better season than him this season. I mean, Sonny had, uh, you know, arguably the best season of any forward in the Premiership. So I, I just do not understand why he was not chosen in this team. And if anybody has a compelling reason as to why he was not chosen, uh, I'd love to hear it even though I won't believe you. Um, I think it shows some incredible bias towards media darlings and flavors of the month because uh, Sonny, you know, has not to this point been someone who, you know, chases the media for attention. Um, uh, what do you think? I mean, well, I ask you what you think. I know what you think, but expand upon your thoughts is probably what I'm saying here, Milo. You, you probably know what I think. What I can do is try and explain a little bit about how this award works. So the, the voting happens you know, after Christmas. So it's a little bit before the end of the season. And obviously, it's voted by the players, voted by Premier League players. So, from Son's point of view, it, you know, he really hit form late on, you know, when he was really on a hot, hot goal scoring run. So, I think that probably played a part in that. I mean, I still think it's hard to believe that he wasn't, you know, in contention for those positions. So, I mean, the other thing I heard, read this week is, you know, obviously, one opinion that I read this week was that Premier League players don't watch a lot of football and they vote for their favourites. And you know, there there's a lot of players there that. who are f- fans of Ronaldo, and yeah, I, I think it's I, I, mean, I think it's ludicrous that he's in the li- lineup. I, you know, I wouldn't argue with uh, the other two in the front three, but you know, Ronaldo had I would say a middling season. Um, yeah, yeah, he I mean, turned up against he, he turned up against us twice, and then probably in a handful of other games, and that's about it. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I I don't think there's I don't think there's anything to add to that. I think you've said it perfectly. Uh, a middling season for you know a, a favourite that uh, it seems that the whole of the Premiership wants to crawl crawl up obsequiously to and uh, fawn over. Well, well done. You did your jobs, but uh, you got it wrong because Sonny should have been in that side. I mean, that's the that's a statistical fact. So anyway. Well. And Emerson Royal, of, of course. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, that was so obvious. I didn't even mention it, but I suppose we, we, you know, good that you did because some people probably do need reminding that Emerson Royal should have been in that side. Yes, correct. Um, sp- speaking of Sonny, he scored a couple of free kicks for South Korea this week. The first was on his hundredth cap for South Korea in a two-nil victory over Chile, and he did it again in uh, to help his side pull back to get a two-two draw against Paraguay. Harry Kane played 90 minutes and scored a penalty as England drew 1-1 with Germany in Munich. The goal means that Harry became only the second man to score 50 goals for England. He's now three goals behind Wayne Rooney's all-time record. Harry has got to 50 goals in 71 games. Rooney got his 53 goals in 119 internationals. (laughs) (laughs) Then Harry came off the bench to play 25 minutes against Italy on Saturday night. Uh, Pierre-Emile Hoybier was on the score sheet as Denmark beat Austria 2-1 and played 90 minutes in a 1-0 defeat to Croatia. Daddy Ben Davis and Joe Roden were in the Wales side that faced Stephen Berkwin's Netherlands. Ben and Joe started and Stevie came off the bench in a 2-1 Holland win. Ben and Joe also started as Wales found a late equaliser against Belgium at the Cardiff City Stadium. Stephen Bergwin, meanwhile, started and played 77 minutes against as Holland came from 2-0 down to rescue a point against Poland. By the way, if, uh, if Ben and Joe ever want a side venture, I'd suggest they come out with an ice cream uh, brand called Ben and Joey. <laughs> Might be good, you know. Anyway, uh, yes, uh, <laughs> moving on. Joy Parrott scored one and set up one as Ireland beat Scotland 3-0 in Dublin. Uh, Decky played 90 minutes and got an assist as Sweden lost 2-1 to Norway on Sunday afternoon. Davinson Sanchez played 90 minutes as Colombia beat Saudi Arabia 1-0 in a friendly in Mercia, Spain. Papa Matasar played 57 minutes as Senegal beat Rwanda 1-0 uh, with their perfect start to the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations qualification campaign continuing. Callum Cisse was an unused substitute as Sierra Leone lost 
one away to Nigeria in the Africa Cup of Nations qualifying. Brian Hill played 57 minutes for Spain under 21s as they beat Malta 7-1. And one we missed last week was Milo's favourite, Maxim Pascotti, playing a full 90 minutes for Estonia in their 5-0 defeat by Argentina, with Messi bagging all five. Maxim was in action again when Estonia beat Malta. 2-1 so he ended up with a victorious game under his belt I mean to be fair you, what is he 18 now he'll be able to say that he played against Messi that's pretty cool he'll also be able to say that the game is about glory has given him an unprecedented amount of publicity in podcast land before his 19th birthday which is brilliant the thing I'm looking forward to most in pre-season is seeing him start for us yeah, I'm looking forward to it and I'm looking forward to the pod special that follows the match it'll be dedicated to him of course I'd expect nothing less <laughs> Andy Scalding. So Rangers chief scale Andy Scalding is set to join us later in the summer as Paratici's number two, well, two and a half, filling in part of the role uh, held by Steve Hitchin. So there's rumours that we might be bringing someone else in. It's not quite clear as to uh, kind of roles and responsibilities at this point. Uh, Scalding was previously part of Roy Hodgson's setup at Liverpool and worked with him at Fulham and England as well. After working with Gary Neville in the, that England setup, he followed him to Valencia. Um, and after a brief stint in Greece with Olympiakos, Scalding became Rangers chief scout back in uh, 2017. So, as I said, his role is yet, as yet unconfirmed, but he comes with a really excellent reputation. Yeah, I'm interested. Uh, do, do either of you chaps have any comments on what is happening with our scouting setup? Because it certainly seems to be developing uh, at, at quite a rate. Paratici started doing a kind of review of uh, kind of the offer, well, from the club top to bottom, and wanted to shake up the scouting setup. And Scalding's also held uh, analyst roles at clubs before. I think that's what he did at Fulham and also at Liverpool. So he's got quite a range of experience. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what his role is. But yeah, it's just part of that Paratici shake-up, I think. Nothing more for me to add, really, other than that you know, Paratici's been in there just shy of 12 months now and he'll have his feet well and truly under the table. And if he's as good as we hope he is, recruiting of staff, particularly within those recruiting and scouting roles, are absolutely integral to the long-term vision and strategy that he'll have. Um, well, look, we're in the season. You know, the transfer window opened up on Friday. Uh, so, uh, you know, it would be remiss for us not to look at the biggest rumours this week. It starts uh, with Alessandro Bastoni, a deal that uh, I suppose it's fair to say looks less likely this week than it did uh, the previous, uh, given that his agent, Tullio Tinti, had a meeting with Inter last Wednesday, following which he said, quote, Bastoni is definitely staying at Inter. He's an Inter player. He's happy to play for Inter. You know, look, this could all be part of a merry dance that ultimately leads to Bastoni leaving Inter in the summer uh, without the Inter fans blaming him. Who, who really knows? I, I'm going to go out on a limb here, chaps, um, to put my head on the chopping block for when we all go back and see what we got right or wrong. I think he's going to end up with us because I think Inter are going to have to sell and I think he's the player they'll sell. And I know that there's been, uh, if I'm right in saying this, the sporting director was in London earlier this week. Um, he was, yeah. With people. Yeah, Friday, I think he came in. So I, I, head on the block. I think he's going to end up with us. I think there's probably other players that they'd prefer to sell. I mean, there's talk about Skriniar going to PSG um, and other other departures. Bastoni's 23. He's an Inter fan. He's a local boy. The fans love him. He's just got into the into the Italy team. Of course, they're going to want to hold on to him. You know, Skriniar's what 27, so you know, doesn't have those kind of same links. Sure. So I think I think it just depends on on the other business and, and what's happening there. Yeah. I mean, I think one to watch is that there's talk about uh, Lukaku going back to Inter on loan from Chelsea. I think Chelsea are interested in some of their players as well. So, and you know, and that's what stuffed us last summer, wasn't it? With um, 
Martinez with um, the, with Chelsea signing Lukaku kind of scuppered that deal. So yeah. you know they've got they've got some good players. They're in financial trouble. Other clubs are interested in those players. I'm sure we're still interested in Bastoni, but it yeah. looks a little bit more yeah. difficult to do this week. Yeah, so uh, as ever, um, you know, I'm sort of probably letting my heart lead with my head a little bit there and believing it'll happen. But I think what you said is rather more accurate. Um, it does lead us um, to the rumours picking up again about Pau Torres, which uh, I think, you know, on the face of it looks like something that is, you know, logically a little closer because we tried and failed to sign him last summer. Villarreal want to sign La Celso from us. We have good relations with them, having previously loaned and then sold them one fourth. And, you know, Torres does have a very different profile to Bastoni in terms of his on-pitch uh, aggression levels, I suppose. Um, uh, so in that sense, it's a bit of a puzzler if he's viewed as an alternative. But I suppose the one thing he does, the one box he does tick is he is a footballer. And he's a genuine footballer and he, and, he, and he can play. I mean, he can really play out from the back. So... I don't know. I mean, my thinking on him is that he makes more sense to me as a Joe Roden upgrade than he does a Ben Davis upgrade. I mean, obviously, Bastoni's looked at Davis, Danny Davis, and chickened out and thought, I'm not going to be able to get in front of him and taken the easy option. <laughs> with, with Torres, I'm not sure <laughs> that um, he's going to want to come to the club and be Dyer's backup. But there's no way I can see us starting the season without Dyer starting in a back three. Um, and particularly if we've got a new left centre-back coming in. You know, Romero is you know, still relatively new to English football. If you've got a new left centre-back coming in, Dyer is the one who does the organisation of the defence. Yes. He's going to play. You know, Torres, oh, turned, I mean, Torres turned us down last summer because we didn't have Champions League football. He's not going to come in. He's not going to want to come in to be back up. But I don't really, whilst he's great at playing the ball out, great in possession, you know, really good, lovely passing range. You know, as we covered last week, he doesn't quite have that physicality. Um, yeah. And I don't think that really fits with what Conte wants from the wide centre-back positions. Yeah, I mean, he's not in our notes, but let me just throw this name out there because obviously it's another name that he's that he's springing to the fore. And by the way, I mean, you know, uh, centre-halves, back three players, uh, they're springing up every day. So we're probably going to miss one this week and have to cover them next. But Bremer is uh, one that's sprung up an awful lot again this week and seems to fit the profile of what mm-hmm. um, Conte likes in a, in a centre-back a lot more, even though he's right footed can play on the left and mm-hmm. is uh, and is quote unquote um uh, these adjectives are, are a bit terse but uh, an animal and so on and so forth I mean, he's a he's aggressive yeah and and he can also play center center back as well so that would give us some cover for Dyer, which you know has been a worry i like bremer i think i think he's a he's a really good option so yeah interesting okay well we'll leave it there i mean obviously it's going to be rum well hopefully it won't be rumbling much longer hopefully by the time pre-season starts we'll be able to discuss which one of them was signed but i think we're all agreed that one of these players is probably going to end up with us there's going to be a new center back i think there'll be two yes you know, so i think you know any of those and numerous other names out there <laughs> could, be, yeah. could be coming in very soon <laughs> yeah we i think we covered some of those other names last week and there's new ones coming did, in all yeah. the time so let's move on to a name um um, that is a cover for right well not a cover slated to be coming in as a on, on right wing back is Jed Spence uh, again we did discuss last week um, uh, word is that negotiations have been uh, progressing uh, from early this week very very well um, to the point that the Guardian even listed it as a transfer that he's that he's done which I thought was really um, premature on their part because it isn't um, but do we think it's going to happen so yeah I think the Guardian jumped the gun a bit Ali Gold is saying that we're expecting things to move early this week so it looks like it's progressing, but there's also quite a bit of interest in him. I know um, Bushy Dortmund are, are interested in him. Obviously, Forrest wanted to hold on to him as well. 
but it, lo- it looks like it's close. I mean, I, I'm quite, I'm excited about him. Um, you know, he's quick, he's strong. Um, he can take a man on and beat a man. He's got a lot of, about him, uh, you know, lots of source. And if he comes in and plays under, under Conte, you know, he's, he's playing with the best manager in the world for a wing back. You know, he is raw. But yeah, I think I think he's quite exciting. He re- he reminds me quite a bit of Walker. Well, one rumor that has really personally excited me this week and really got me going is uh, the one surrounding Richarlison, which has really sort of come quite late in the week, but picked up a considerable amount of uh, of, of motion uh, from various outlets at this point. On Saturday, it was reported that we were interested in signing Richarlison for a fee in the region of fifty million quid. Um, you know, Everton are also meant to be interested in Harry Winks, and we turned down a bid. Uh, for Winksy from them in January. And it looks like Everton are kind of in a bit of a pickle in terms of they're going to need to sell this summer to stay within financial fair play. You know, there's a there's a double, there would be a double positive out of this. Number one, I think Richarlison is a player that, I mean, what a Conti player. He just seems to suit everything that Conti's about. And I think Conti will bring him to it, an even greater level of, of skill and shithousery, um, which would just be uh, to our huge benefit. But the other major benefit would be that Dominic Calvert-Lewin would then stay at Everton and not go to not go to Arsenal. I mean, it would be it would be a double positive, right? I mean, I think we should firstly say that the stories on this came out in the Portuguese press and they haven't been too reliable in the past. I, I think certainly yeah, how it's been reported on Saturday and how advanced people were talking about it being, I think is probably wrong. But I think he's probably a player that we are interested in. But yeah, I don't I don't think it's one that's is, is likely to be close. In terms of profile, yeah, I think I think you know, effectively he'd be Bergwin's replacement, wouldn't he? And I think he's an upgrade on Bergwin. He can play right across the front line. He's a bastard. I mean, he'd he'd fill that void that Eric Lamella left. I mean, not that anyone ever could, but, you know, as close as we could to it. He's a real handful, and he'd be a really useful rotation option through the season, although I don't see him ever really playing ahead of Sun or Kane in any big games. But, yeah, really useful players having the squad. I have to say also, uh, one name that is coming up again uh, because his contract is officially out um, is Christian Eriksen. Again, we've discussed that as a rumour, but uh, it feels like a decision from Christian and his camp is going to come pretty quickly now. He's completely and utterly free. I mean, I think all of these players, I mean, you know, Richarlison's on international duty. Eriksen obviously is on international duty. I think these things will start moving probably once you know, the international fixtures are over. Um, so anyway, uh, that being said, uh, that's the roundup of, uh, of the transfer rumours. So tune in next week where we'll tell you the complete opposite of everything that you've just heard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. If, Steph, we come back in a week and say that Bastoni is just about to sign yeah then that's good that's fine i'm happy with yeah, that Yeah, i know but but what's funny is that as we've just been dis- as we've been reading i was just checking uh one of the uh the, the up-to-date you know on the hour filters and they're saying that you know bremer is, is, is imminent now you know that's in the last hour bremer is an imminent signing so uh, <laughs> who knows it's all fun to discuss but one thing you can be sure uh chaps is that you know we know paratici runs many plays at the same time when it comes to the transfer market. So I would have to say that there's probably legitimacy to every single rumour. It's just a case of which one is furthest yeah. advanced, right? Yeah, I think so. As a way of a segue, Steph, into the next item, I saw a suggestion mm. on Twitter this week that said that clubs should be banned from announcing their signings over the summer and then there should be a TV <laughs> programme where all of the players, you know, each club goes through in turn and then their new signings are brought out as uh, wow. you know, kind of big eve of the season tv program 
So that's oh, that's yes. football utopia for you. <laughs> that is football utopia. It's probably a little bit of life utopia. Imagine if you could control um, the, uh, the 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 sort of the rumor sphere that much in life in general. <laughs> I, I was going to say that I think that's if Simon Cowell ran football, isn't it? <laughs> Simon Cowell, chief scout. Also, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I've had a little bit of a Ron Manager moment again, folks. I went drifting there with that image of Simon Cowell. <laughs> been it, it, football Utopia and Simon Cowell. Well, we'll drop Simon Cowell from that uh, from that sentence, and we are now going to talk about Football Utopia, which doesn't involve Simon Cowell. God, it's going to be hard for me to forget him now for the next half an hour. But anyway, <laughs> if you were given a blank sheet of paper to design football, how would it look? Well, it would start with not having Simon Cowell involved anywhere whatsoever. <laughs> Seriously, look, we're going to divide the discussion into some broad categories. We're going to chat about how we think that the game could be improved, um, what the impact of those improvements could have, and ultimately what we would like football to look like. And uh, look, bear with us. Some of these ideas, you know, are definitely going to be idealistic and, and unachievable. But again, it's football utopia. And also bear in mind that Paul Milo has to edit this episode each week. So we are, uh, we're clipping ourselves. We have tons of ideas and we're, we're, we're clipping them to what we feel are our best ones and the best topics generally to discuss. So let's kick it off this evening with money, money, money. Always funny in a rich man's world. I had to sing. I haven't sung for a couple of weeks. That wasn't in the um, script. <laughs> it wasn't. Um, abba dabba do. Milo, uh, distribution of money. But let's kick it off tonight with what you would do in a utopian football world. Well, I think as we, <laughs> I think as we covered, so we had, before we recorded tonight, we had a quick run through this because we've kind of all been going off thinking up our kind of utopian uh, football ideas, and then we needed to try and make sure that we we're on the same page for this because this is quite a, you know, not only a blank sheet of foot, uh, paper for football, this is quite quite a blank sheet of paper for podcasters, football podcasters as well. Yeah. And um, we kind of established while we're talking through this that I'm a football communist. Um, and pretty much everything, everything that I I want to do with the sport to improve it, or if I was designing it from scratch, is around um, trying to make it more equal and um, kind of clubs doing stuff on merit rather than you know where we are now. You do know you've just horrified half of our American listening audience who actually don't and cannot process the word communist in any way, shape, or form. You might want to say football socialist even, but anyway. Well, you know, I'm. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to soften the blow for our American listeners who will have trouble with that. That's if this bit makes the edit. It might not. Cut it out. <laughs> no, we'll leave it in. We'll leave it in. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for anyone I've upset by that. I wasn't entirely serious. Um, anyway, so I mean, first that uh, you know we'd base the game in in Russia and um, <laughs> and China and nowhere else could play it and. <laughs> telling you it's summer we're having fun i'm having a little bit of a uh, blackened rye the white rye the lightning whiskey here just roll with us we're having a good time so, so on distribution of money which was the question i was asked i, I was going to tax football tax sport so the two ideas i had on that were the first one was uh, a one percent tax on football gambling gambling in the uk People spend kind of 14 billion pounds a year on gambling in the UK, and the biggest chunk of that is football gambling. And it doesn't, it, I think it leeches off the sport. I don't, it doesn't bring anything into it. And I think a tax on that, you know, one, two percent, something like that, is relatively You mean small. a general tax on all gambling, one percent of all gambling proceeds, or just football based bets? Football gambling. Okay. Um, and then that money is put back into grassroots football. Um, and, you know, it would have minimal impact on 
or, or you know on punters uh the gambling companies make stupid amounts of money off something that they don't put anything into um so it's a way of kind of putting back into that and it helps a part of the sport which in you know in the uk we're massively lagging behind the rest of the world in terms of you know number of pitches and um you know qualified coaches and all this kind of stuff um the, you know the numbers in the uk are really poor on that and then sim- very similar as i said i'm a football communist so i'm going to try and take money elsewhere as well was a was a tax on on transfer fees so uh, again you know one percent tax on every transfer fee and that money goes back into uh into grassroots football and again it's we're seeing massive inflation in fees you know largely that's going between you know big clubs it's not really filtering down and we need to do a lot more to try and levy the playing field you know maybe one percent isn't enough maybe we rise it raise it further but basically everything i want to do is taking money out of the you know, people leech off football or at the top of the game and then and push it back into into the grassroots and try and develop the game from there. Yeah, I think that all of our utopian ideas have elements of um, of, of football socialism or, or football communism in them. Uh, I think we recognise that um, the, the the way that football's been operated purely with clubs working in isolation and international federations working in isolation often against each other um, does create a situation where there's, there's, there's lots of imperfections and um, you know, we've alluded to it, but um, the American sporting model I'm sure has its flaws, but essentially it's, it's set up to try and create some, some parity and to, to generate interest and make sure that no one can dominate the game. It's bizarre, isn't it? Where you look at American sports and actually, yeah, whilst you don't have, say, promotion and relegation in the same way that you do in in British sport or you know, European sport, in terms of actually a level playing field for competition, it's a lot. It's a lot better. It's a lot more even than we see in in European sport. Slightly away from the financial aspect for a moment, and playing off that point, I mean, one of the greatest things they do is that the worst team in the NFL gets the option of the best college player. I mean, yeah. you know, which of course is an immediate. It's a, that's an immediate uh, move to parity. But back to your uh, financial point, I completely agree. Uh, first and foremost, and I'd add one more um, category that can pay their pay their way, in my opinion, and that is the football agent. Um, I think the football agents commi- uh, commission and fee should also be taxed um, with that money going back into uh, uh, grassroots programs um, and a grassroots foundation. However, however, that needs to be set up. I think it needs to happen because we're back to what you're saying, Milo, about you know people who are leeching off the game um, and not putting back. I completely agree. Um, so, I, yeah couldn't agree more and by the way i just want to add you know all jokes aside we've joked about you know football communism and socialism regardless i mean anyone who is not for a fairer distribution of money in the current situation is to me shitting on our game there's no doubt that something has to happen um to 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 kind of get things uh, a little more even because otherwise it's just going to become a wash yeah i mean we before we came on the pod we were talking about you know, would could Bobby Robson's Ipswich happen now? Or Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest, and I don't think it could. The barriers no. to a team coming up and um, you know finishing in you know a team coming up and finishing in the top half is an achievement, let alone you know in a European place or something like that. And you know, if you look at the kind of Premier League, I mean, this this season was an anomaly in that the race went to the wire, and you know, most seasons the Premier League is over by spring, and that's not com- that's not competitive, that's not interesting. No. And and realistically, you know, in a few weeks' time, of you know, what, month or so's time, uh, we'll be doing a pod around predictions for the coming season. 
And when we talk about who we're gonna, who we think is going to win the Premier League, all of us are going to pick from two teams. And when we talk about the teams that are going to be relegated, we're all going to be talking about, you know, probably the three promoted clubs plus Everton plus, you know, you know one or two others. Yeah. And and that, that's not a competitive league. That's not healthy. That's but also that's not interesting. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you say that because uh, you know one of the reports in the many spurious transfer rumours I saw was that you know this signing could push Tottenham to a top three finish. And you're reading it and you're like, well, that's you know that's not the objective. The objective is to try and win the league. And with my heart, I feel that we can win the league next season. But you're quite right. Uh, Milo, you know, logic dictates that it's going to be back down to two teams and one in particular who have certain, you know, um, situations that they've engineered to allow them to uh, maintain a tremendous amount of financial muscle. So, I mean, look, that's part of a much bigger discussion, I understand. But anyway, just to say, I think we're all in agreement. I think those those are great suggestions and a really good start. I'd personally double the tax. I'd make it 2% myself. Uh, I would. I would. 2% or 2% of what? I mean, it's 2% that's not going to It's, you know, it's not even a, a drop over the side into the ocean, is it? Um, just just to pick up on something Gareth said about you, know, we're talking about um, the draft in US sports. I think I do think actually one of the things we could see is that the way the TV money is allocated at the moment, you get more the higher up the league you finish. We could probably do something with that within to kind of distribution yes. of those funds that could make it um, so you saw more going to uh, newly promoted teams or teams that finished lower down the league to try and close that gap because the teams at the top have already got all that financial advantage anyway. So yeah. they don't really need that. Well, and and to a lesser extent, you know, uh, you know so lower leagues are almost becoming, uh, you know, there's some farm situations almost for the bigger Premier League clubs, which I which I shudder to say because they're not farm teams at all. They're very important uh, community clubs and very important fixtures in British football, and they should be recognised as such and supported in in that way too. And I'm going to bring Gareth in on this in a minute. This brings us to our next uh, topic here, which is how we support youth, women's, and grassroots football. Um, you know, we don't need to look too far back. Uh, we look at the pandemic when all of these areas of the game were really, really, you know, balanced on a knife edge. I mean, everyone was wondering how the poor premiership players were going to get paid because their stadiums weren't full. Well, <laughs> think about youth programs and women's programs. And that can't really happen, can it, Gareth? So what would you suggest we could do to hopefully safeguard um, the, the, the futures and enhance them for these areas? Yeah. I'm going to caveat my point, first of all, by saying I know that all Premier League clubs, in fact, all Football League clubs have got, on the whole, very, very good, uh, proactive community schemes. Uh, I know firsthand through through um, through having been employed by Tottenham Hotspur Foundation, there's a lot of work that goes back into redistributing the money um, and efforts into the grassroots game in local communities, and that is echoed by the Premier League as well. Um, however, one of the things that I think should happen is that um, certainly all 20 Premier League clubs have got fantastic training ground facilities, and usually within a stone's throw of that, you've got um, a public um, playing field that kids will be playing on with dog feces on it and all sorts of other things going on there as well so my suggestion is that all clubs training grounds must be made available for local grassroots leagues to be played on on x number of occasions throughout the year and whether you put that all in during the summer off season period and have lots of football festivals going on that give a lot more um, young children the opportunity to play football in that's one thing 
Um, my other suggestion, I, mean, I think this is where the game's going anyway, but I do think that all women's Super League games should be played at the club's main stadium. That should be made mandatory as well. I think those are two fantastic ideas. I love the first idea because it not only opens up these great facilities for the public to use, uh, but in another way, it's a bridge between the, the dreams and the hopes and, and the encouragement of like this really, you know, this is accessible to you. And it's also something that everyone pays for. Everyone mm. pays a little bit towards that. And it's and it brings a little bit more sort of uh, pride and ownership. I think that's great, and I love the idea of of making sure that all women's games are at, at the, the new lane because it gives so many opportunities to open those games up for the community in in affordable ways. So I'm I, I'm with you, sold to uh, thumbs up from me twice. We've got twenty angry groundsmen now on the on the phone to us and on Twitter to us saying what are you doing to my pitches, but um, well, hire, they, they, hire, hire more of them. Let's 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 make sure yeah. We, we we yeah. I mean, you know, we, turf management is a big deal to this show. We've discussed this many times, so I, I mean, that's a serious concern, and uh, we we can just maybe employ more. Yeah, I'm not I'm not as convinced on um, all women's games being played at the new stadium. That's not that. I don't, don't support the women's team, I do, and I watch them whenever I can. But if the stadium can't be filled, half-empty stadiums aren't always the best for atmosphere. So I think I would rather play in a stadium that was was full and had, you know, did, or, you know, had a decent decent crowd in and maybe save the main stadium for the, the fixtures where you can you know, fill it or near fill it. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think the one thing you would say is, again, maybe it opens up um, some, some ways to get the community involved at a much lower yeah, cost and true. maybe that helps true. maybe that helps fill the stadium but I, I see the argument either way but again um i suppose my heart is going to go with gareth but i think we're all in agreement that uh it, it would not be a bad move it would be a terrible move would it i mean it'd be uh i mean if we if we were to make it it would, it would be a, it would be a positive step so i i like it um i i'm going to go for something that's a little uh a little more holistic maybe um and this is i think it's probably quite ambitious I'm going to call it the 360 match day pass. And I'd like to see the introduction of a certain number per home game of these 360 match day passes, whereby for low income households, a percentage of seats are held back for a bargain price. I would say 40 quid for an adult, 20 quid for, for your kids. And they also include a beverage and a sandwich snack. Um, you could have it in a certain area of the ground. That's fine by me. I've no problem with that. Um, but the idea is to just make everything in the stadium a little more accessible for you know in these times are getting tough for people who don't have the income to splash out on the big seats and to and to let them also you know when you've got that 360 match day pass you know that you're not going to have to spend anything extra you've got you've got a drink you've got a snack or a sandwich you've got your game uh for 60 quid you can bring your kid and have a great day out and be fed and watered and and Bob's your uncle. So that would be that's my 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 kickoff right there. That's my first of many points that I could vault. I was going to say West Ham have got ahead of you, haven't they, with their kid for a quid scheme that they've been running for ages to try and get people into their stadium. So you know, I mean, fair play to them. Fair play to them if they, if they do that. Yeah, great. You know, this the, the idea of this is that you you literally from the moment you've loaded that batch they pass onto your onto your uh, phone you know you don't have to pay for anything i mean look you could even throw a travel card in there as part of the price that's fine too add a travel card to it okay, joking aside pretty much all of the answers you know the answers to this i the, this section i could have said be more like germany and i know a lot of german clubs would include travel to and from the stadium on public transport as part of the ticket price or you know or subsidize it and i think um 
if we could do you know if we could do that and you know particularly if you could do, do that to support away fans get people being able to use firstly hold games at a time where it's actually possible to travel to and from them by public transport but you know gareth you and i had a regular whinge through last season when the televised games weren't announced until you know past mm. the deadline and particularly you know when when you're moving uh kickoff times around f- for that and you're an away fan any chance you've got of booking you know public transport at a discount has gone and you know pub- rail travel in in the uk is fucking expensive and many times the the price of a you know getting into the ground um so anything that can make that easier and you know surely we don't you know don't want people driving if they don't need to but mm. you know pe- people do that because you know public transport is so expensive and the kickoff times are at times when it's not you know not possible to to get back from a game after it's finished yeah no, I mean, that's, that's definitely featured high up on my list before we'd, we'd spoken. I think my um, the, the rule I'd put in is that any game that's ske- um, that is rescheduled less than eight weeks away from the fixture date, anyone travelling to the game can have a train ticket for £10 if in receipt of a match ticket. Okay, that sounds good. I like that. But let me go back to my 360 match day pass then and let me add, um, and I'm keeping the prices the same, 40 quid for adults, 20 quid for kids, and let's add a travel pass, a rail card like your train pass. Terms and conditions apply. Check website for details. Yes, and also why not add a free a free ice cream for the kids? I'm just thinking of the idea of you don't have much money, you know, you, 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 and you can buy the – you can for 60 quid, you can take your kid out and know that you don't have to put your hand in your pocket again and they're still going to have a couple of the extras that they would get. Give them a program while you're at it. You know, these are the sorts of things I think that would uh, make it a much – better match day for a lot more families i think so i think commercially as as well once you start giving people those deals or something where they feel that they've been given real value with something chances are they will go into the club shop and they'll spend six quid on a scarf at the same time so i think the clubs would make their money back on that one yeah i think the thing about that is that it's also an investment in the future you know football crowds in england are getting increasingly old um and that's because people are priced out and you know, uh, numerous t- numerous times on on this podcast, we've talked about kind of our formative experiences of going to games, and you know, I think we've all got some you know pretty strong memories of that. But you've got kind of generations that are being priced out of that being a, a kind of a, a weekly or you know biweekly uh, experience for them. And yes. anything that can actually get people into grounds and experiencing football, um, it, you know, effectively you're investing in the next generation of fans of your club. So it's you know it's a good thing to do. I, I just I know Gareth, you had the idea with kits that you think that it should be you know the kit should stand for every two years, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think kit should stand for for two years. I think that you could um, you could run them intermittently. So you change one kit every year, you change your home or your away kit. But once yeah. a kit is launched, it lasts for two seasons. Yeah. And to add my final bit of this, um, you know, thinking of the future generations, uh, I would personally make uh, kids shirts, 15 quid, flat fee, 20 quid if you want a name on the back. So, you know, you get more kids wearing your kit everywhere and it stops the parents going to places like DH Gate and ordering them for a tenner anyway. So, you know, the club would actually end up probably making back some of the money they lose right now anyway you're very precise in your pricing steph oh i know it's a utopia but this is utopia <laughs> are right? you including oh, hey, VAT in that 15 quid uh yes all in i'm all, all in. i'm in for the all in price 40 20 yeah 15 20 yeah all in that's the it's a flat fee don't ask him more about pricing structures <laughs> <laughs> oh no, but i'm, I'm t- anyway anyway but <laughs> 
my utopia. I might be I might be a little more of a C and an S than you, mate. <laughs> See, we're all in this together. This is what I love. I do love the fact that we do. I mean, seriously, all the ideas so far for me have really had the welfare of the game and the fans at, at the very, very epicenter of them, which is which is fantastic. Right. Come on. Let's get Gareth onto his pet subject. Saturday, 3 p.m. Come on. We've we've yes. been building up to this for well, we're kind of a year and a half into this podcast now. This is what we've been building up to. I said that I wanted this to be a short record, but Gareth's just going to go now. There's not too much for me to say to be fair. Um so what was that? There's not too much for you to say. There's, what a load of cobblers. Let it out, man. It's, 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 your WhatsApp chats on this have been ecologically unfriendly. They're so numerous. What are you talking about? Data use? Come on. I've not much to say. Go, going, going to watch a football team on a, on a Saturday... It should be sacrosanct. It's, it's it's just part of the it's part of the the, the makeup of of English football. And talk about our formative years. Saturday's a far better day to go and watch football than it is to go on a Sunday. I think I think we'd all agree. So my suggestion is that of your nineteen home Premier League fixtures, at least nine of them should be played on a Saturday. And that I'm I feel like I'm compromising there as well. At least nine of them should be on a Saturday. And in the opposite corner. Well, first off, I'm going to say I also want to put a tax on Gareth talking about Saturday 3 p.m. kickoffs because I think they'll probably raise more than the other two. Fucking funded the entire Isthmian League with that, haven't we? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> we, we love you. We love you. We're just giving you a hard time. I don't know. Talk, whilst I'm on my soapbox, we talk about Kit as well. The other, the, the other utopian world I'm going to live in is that no team changes their kit for an away game unless there's a genuine colour clash as well. He's off. Ever, He's off. Right? They have to wear the same <laughs> kit all for the whole season unwashed, right? That's, well, Watford and Norwich will always, always play in yellow unless they play against each other, put it that way. <laughs> but I'm not coming after Watford it. and Norwich again today. He's ignored it. His soapbox He's, is so He's high off. he can't He's hear off. my shitty jokes. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Magic. On Saturday, 3pm kickoffs. I'm going to go the other way and say that no Premier League game should kick off at 3pm on a Saturday. (laughs) Of course you are. Premier League should vacate that slot, leave it to the lower leagues. And the reason for that is that I'd like every Premier League game to be televised in in England. And the reason for not doing that currently is the kind of 3pm blackout. So again, this is... Very similar to every other answer is, which is, I've got to this, which is more like Germany. And that's what happens in the Bundesliga. Um, so I think we have, you know, lunchtime kickoffs. We have evening kickoffs. We have, you know, Sunday kickoffs, what have you. But 3 p.m. is for, for lower league football. I'm sort of torn because one of the suggestions that I wasn't going to talk about, but which we're here now, and I don't think it's going to impinge too much in the show length was, I, I sort of like the idea of a certain uh, percentage of fixtures per season having to be Saturday 3pm, just because I love the idea in my own little like couched way of where I have everything defined, uh, so on, of a sort of a when Saturday comes program again, you know, that back to traditional, so on and so forth. So, and I have to say that as much as we, as much as we giggle about Gareth's traditionalism, I, I, I admire it greatly and I am a bit of a nostalgist myself and I completely and utterly understand where you're coming from and I feel it. Having said that, I also be more like Germany in the football sense that Milo's been going on about is, is equally is equally open so I have to say I'm finding this one a hard one to to decide either way. I'm a bit worried about you two that if we carry on this for much longer we'll have you can only get football scores from Rumbelow's window as one of the suggestions. <laughs> I've got to say I've 
I would love it. I would love a rule where you do not, you're not allowed to get the full football scores unless they're read by a James Alexander Gordon type figure at 5 p.m. An embargo on all media and all social media. The only way you can get the full scores is if they're read by a James Alexander Gordon type thing. You're, mm. You'd be up for that, wouldn't you, Gareth? I know, I, I would be. And I, whilst Milo's saying that he keeps coming back to the point that we should be more like Germany, <laughs> I need to remind myself that uh, everything I'm saying is suggesting we should go back to 1990 again. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh utopia is never quite utopian but it is for us individually i don't no. know I don't, there's compromise but i think the big takeaway from this entire portion of the discussion is that we need a more regulated and uh and formalized recital of the football scores each week <laughs> <laughs> to be to be vaulted to the prominence again I, I distinctly remember earlier in the week when we were planning this i did say i think there's a risk that we come across as a bunch of old blokes reminiscing about how things used to be and i think <laughs> yeah. we might we might have uh, stumbled back into that we might have stepped over maybe. that threshold yeah maybe but they do, but everyone loves vinyl these days anyway enough you're right uh, so the second to last uh, category we had down was number of games uh, gareth do you want to Get us going on that. Yeah, because I think we all recognise that there's too much football and this is across FIFA, UEFA, um, clubs and, and Premier League as well. So what I want to do is I want to reduce the number of games. The first thing that I'm going to do is um, streamline the European club competitions at the moment by making them straight knockout games. Back to 1990. Um, <laughs> back, to, back, to, back to 1990, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'll, Hold, hold your thought, caller, because my next objective is we go back to the three competitions as well. So we've got three competitions. We've got a you know, Champions League or an elite level, and then we've got our sort of second tier one as well. There would only be five teams from England qualifying for Europe. So you'd have the top team that finished first and second would go into the Champions League or equivalent. You'd get the third place team plus the FA Cup winner going into the second tier. And this is my real curveball. Um, the team that finishes in 10th place or who wins the League Cup goes into the third tier competition as well. And then that keeps it interesting that way. By going straight into a knockout competition, not having a group stage, we are reducing the number of games and therefore there are more midweeks available which allow us to keep our League Cup ties. I'm still keeping to 20 teams in the Premier League. And um, the other thing that I'm going to do as well is I'm going to ask UEFA to streamline their um, qualifying competitions as well. So we go into having a two-tier system. So you have twenty the 24 highest-ranking teams would qualify for automatic spots in the um, four-year cycle of World Cups. And then that you would also have two wildcard uh, positions that would be available to the next 31 confederations and therefore you're reducing the number of um, international fixtures that are required in the seasons because there are less games to play and they're more interesting so you get the best of the nation's league with that promotion and relegation system because the teams that would finish bottom of that top tier would drop into the second tier for the next um, round of the next cycle Um, and you're also making sure all the games are meaningful as well. I'm going to cut the Premier League to 16 clubs and uh, have the League Cup. So if you're in, in Europe, you don't participate in the League Cup. Uh, we need less games. That that that's that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I think for me, I would make the uh, the Carabao Cup an under under twenty one tournament with two overage exceptions per match day squad. I'd get rid of the Nations League because it's useless. It's a complete joke. It's only there for UEFA to try and take on FIFA. It's political. I'd limit friendlies in tournament years to four matches per season. So anytime the Euros, Afcon, World Cup finals, you only get four friendlies um, in those seasons. 
I, I, I think that reducing the Premier League, I think it has to happen, actually. I think it has to happen, uh, Milo. I think it's, otherwise we're, we're really, we're, we're killing our players. I mean, players are slowly but surely starting to speak up on this finally. And, uh, and, and by the way, I'm really surprised that the union isn't speaking a little more about player welfare because it's a real concern. Uh, we are, we're, we're driving these players into the ground. So I, I agree. I, I think we should reduce the premiership. I would personally go to 18 clubs, but you know, 16 would be fine too. I mean, I think the problem you've got with your international friendlies thing, Steph, is that every season is an international tournament season. Great. Um, so no more than four friendlies a season then. And uh, Gareth, I, I I think it's a really interesting idea, uh, the European qualification and reducing to five teams. Um, I think it's brave. I don't think I'm quite prepared to go with it quite simply uh, because, uh, you know, it would mean that we wouldn't be in the Champions League and I enjoy my little Champions League patch on my my um, Eric Dyer shirt. So, uh, you know, but... I don't. I don't disagree that there has to be uh, some change in European qualification because it's adding too many teams. I mean, would we all agree at this point that 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 the proletariat Champions League should go? I don't think there's a problem with the number of European games if you're cutting down the number of domestic games. So if you're not in the League Cup and there aren't as many, you know, the Premier League is reduced in size. Then I don't think there's necessarily an issue with that. I don't think there's a conflict there. No, you're. Yeah, you know, I mean, we all know that the kind of group stages of the Champions League uh, were introduced so that clubs had a guaranteed number of games, and they, you know, they get more money out of it. I mean, that's the reason for it. It's, you know, that's 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 the rationale behind it, and that's why, you know, we also saw, you know, the push for the Super League and what have you. It's about clubs getting guaranteed income. I'm just saying we've come to a very interesting apex point of this discussion, and I think it is worth a, a minute or two. Um, you know. What you're talking about essentially is where do we cut the games? I think we're all in agreement that there need to needs to be less football because we're we're killing our players. We really are. Mm-hmm. Um, and where does that happen? Does that happen with domestic? Does that happen with European? I mean, I think you sort of split the difference and do a little bit of each, uh, which is where Gareth's suggestion of a knockout tournament for Champions League and so on, as opposed to a, a you know a separate league in and of itself takes really good root. I think for me. The biggest issue, if we continue to have Nations League and uh, sorry, and the, the, the Proletariat Champions League, the name of which the conference, um, you know, these tournaments, I, I just don't think they add any value to the game. I don't think they do anything. They're just there as some sort of as, to try and. And I'd rather see the the focus go back into the domestic league in mm. that sense. So I mean, the Nations League it's replaced friendlies. You know, that was the idea of it. But, and the Conference League isn't really any different to the Intertoto or any other kind of you know third third rate European competition that we've seen before. The reason for it is was to buy support from smaller leagues. So the qualification process for it is weighted towards the smaller leagues. So yeah. it was to try and you know to try and buy support from those from those leagues within within UEFA. But what I think the Conference League's also done is it streamlined the Europa League. So if you looked at the teams involved in the Europa mm. League this year, to be involved in that, it looked a lot more attractive. And actually, there were probably greater value in mm. the in the fixtures that you saw in the Europa League this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with the Europa Conference as long as we're not in it. Yeah. So, so maybe, so maybe my rule change is that Tottenham Hotspur can't play in the Europa Conference. That's what I'm proposing. Yeah, I like a streamlined. I like a streamlined Europa League, which, by the way, I still think should go back to being called the UEFA Cup. Um, uh, back we are to 1990. <laughs> Stop doing this 
middle-aged men moaning about how football isn't like it used to be. No. Come on, this is meant to be utopia, yeah. not sepia. <laughs> well, okay, well, in blazing colour, I'd like. I still would like to see one European tournament less. I think. Uh, I still think that the the proletariat Champions League is. is I think it's a, a redundant tournament for me. It does nothing. So I, I would get rid of it. I really would. Let's get onto our wild cards. And if either yes. of you say compulsory bovril at half time, I'm turning this <laughs> this off. <laughs> No, I'm going to kick it off because I'm going. I'm going full. I'm going full rollerball here, or you know, the rollerball style. I'm bringing things into the future, baby. Uh, I think that at the referee's discretion, this is a this is a rule edition, by the way. Multi ball, so multi ball. Yes, you should be allowed to bring two balls onto the pitch when the game's really fucking boring and when teams are playing a low block. <laughs> That would be a funny idea, wouldn't it? Uh, No, but my one is that I think that we do need a sin bin. I would have a 10-minute sin bin at the referee's discretion for anything that are second yellow offences and the grey area. So if someone is on a yellow and has engaged in what is a grey area foul that could be yellow, could not, and would, if given as a yellow, would lead to a red, I think the referee has the discretion to give that player a 10-minute sin bin sit-down and final warning that their next infringement is instant and that they're off. And when I say grey area, I'm talking about, you know, in the heat of the moment, second challenge, it's a little rash, an obstruction. Maybe someone kicks the ball away immediately afterwards because they're still riled up from the first. I mean, it's a rule that would benefit Jafet Tanganga wholeheartedly for sure and would have really helped him at Crystal Palace, where I think he definitely was, uh, uh, you know, in a heat of the moment situation there and, and got sent off. And he could have done with a sim bin at that point. And also I'd remove the yellow card for removing your shirt in celebration. That's just stupid. So... That's my that's my wild card and multi ball obviously, which is the best idea we've had so far. Well, that was kind of your idea. I'm not taking that one, but I think that one is fun. That's a fun one. That's not a real one. I'm not I'm not standing behind that, but I do enjoy the thought of it. Instead of the kickoff, you can have a cannon at the side of the pitch that they fired the ball onto the pitch like you get with table football. That would be mm-hmm. loads better. There will be no cannons anywhere uh, launching football. Thank you. We won't be having a cannon. We can have a slingshot or something. Association. Yeah. My idea actually kind of ties back to kind of the last bit we were talking about with international football which is an international football window at the end of the season so rather than interrupting the season with with games you there's a month six weeks period at the end of the season when all games are played if it's a tournament year then the tournament will be played during that period uh, and standardizing the international calendar so that um, you know all of that all of the games are played within that period so we don't get interruptions during the season we don't get a period where you know two games into the season uh, the, all the players go off on an international on, on an international break so i don't care about the conference league or sorry i don't care about the nation's league or or anything like that if it can fit within that window fine but just don't stop me watching spurs during the season do you start the season later in that case because you still have to give players time off i haven't gone to small print there is a window we reorganize the season i don't really care my one is that uh, every tuesday morning every schoolboy in the country should receive a complimentary copy of match and shoot magazine no sorry i'm not no, <laughs> yes, no, no, excellent you told me no more 1990 no sorry that one, come on another one um i'm i'm a, i'm a, well i've definitely alienated our international <laughs> listeners who have started following football since 2014 with that last comment anyway but my other wild card is that and this is this is very uk centric at least 20 premier league matches per season must be televised on terrestrial television and it links back to something we've spoken about beforehand about accessibility of the top flight football in this country and so few people are able to watch premier league football on a regular basis live live matches on tv because it's on it's on subscription 
channel so it's on it's on sky or it's on um it's on bt over here so i think something needs to be done and if i've got a blank canvas i want more kids to be going into school on monday morning talking about the football that they've watched on television over the weekend and that this isn't just tokenism this isn't just giving them southampton versus crystal palace to to watch this is making sure that we get a good mix of um high profile games involving the, the the top six clubs as well as the rest of the premier league and I think it's really important that uh, for the st- sustainability of the game, it- it's more accessible and that particularly more youngsters are able to watch and engage the game and start to developing their own interests in it and particular teams and, and players again. Because at the moment, it's mm. it's really only what they see through playing FIFA. I-, I think that links quite well into Steph's, was it £10, £15? I can't remember the pricing structure, but uh, you know the family family ticket stuff and you know the 40, constant, 40 quid no, 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 I don't, we don't need to know there was definitely a pricing uh, structure there was definitely yeah I know I think I think so and I think you probably got a discount if you bought it two weeks in advance and then um, Super Saver Sundays there was a discount again and uh, I don't know but um, I think it goes back to that kind of investing in the future doesn't it that we're talking about and making the game more accessible yeah I think that's right yeah and look I think that the big roundup uh, point to make here is and, and all jokes aside look obviously you know some of us of a certain vintage and and do have a romantic um memories of things like shoot and match and james alexander gordon and whatever i mean but yes but all jokes aside you know i think what's interesting when you look back at the points that we've made a lot of them are designed about trying to find a little more parody with regards to financial matters but in terms of the actual game um you know a lot of good moves have been made in the game recently and it does seem like you know the authorities and and everyone in general have done have done some great things you know moving forward i mean var and so on and so forth hawkeye technology these are all great things right so i think it's interesting that a lot of our utopian ideas revolve around um you know just trying to make it a little maybe cheaper and maybe a little more accessible to the to future fans and to the communities and as you said gareth clubs are already trying to do that so hopefully they will listen to our pod and see how they could do it even better look Lads, that was that was a lot of fun, and I think that you know from within the uh, the light discussions we had, there have been several really strong and and really really solid uh, suggestions and points made there uh, in football utopia that I think would be very beneficial. So anyway, thank you, thank you very much. Cheers, Steph. Thanks, Steph. <laughs> We'll be back next week to tell you how the world was a better place back then. <laughs> we'll be back next week throughout and throughout the summer with a weekly dose of Spurs-related chat. Um, and as we've been saying, episodes might come out on different days over the summer or come in clusters as we take advantage of not having to fit episodes around matches. Please subscribe to The Game Is About Glory on your favourite pod platform to make sure that you don't miss any of those. And whilst you're there, leave us a five-star review on your platform of choice. And as always, thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye.